Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad to see you here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is from William F. Schultz. Come into this place of peace and let its silence heal your spirit. Come into this place of memory and let its history warm your soul. Come into this place of prophecy and power and let its vision change your heart. Sometimes people wonder in a denomination that does not have a creed, like the Unitarian Universalists and the Quakers, what is it that holds you together? And in the Unitarian Universalist movement, we have people with backgrounds and practices in all the major world religions, including neo-paganism and uh, humanism. So what is it that guides us, that, that um, gives us a place to stand? Well, in this congregation, the answers are many, but one of them is we have a mission that guides our feet as we run this race. And the mission is written on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together deeply. Try to still the busyness that's in our thoughts. Our minds are full of what we want to do, what we should have done, what we have to do. Full of questions, full of lists. Let us gently acknowledge all of those busy thoughts and turn our attention to our breathing in and out. Let us enter into the silence together, understanding that the sounds of life and small children are part of silence. The first time I remember being mad at God about something bad happening was when I was a pretty little kid. I was probably nine or ten. And I really wanted my parents to like each other better than they did. And so I would pray, and I would be mad. I'm like, why can't you make them like each other like they should? And um, it just continued because we, in our family, we heard a lot of news. My dad was on the news with CBS in Philadelphia, and he um, would stand by the AP ticker. It came out um, on a tape, all the terrible things that were happening in the world. He would just stand there and cry. And um, so we heard about wherever there was war and wherever there were children in trouble, and um, we had a, a heart full of sorrow for 
the people in the world, and, and I would wonder, why is God letting this happen? You know, why are, is, does God, is there something wrong here? Because um, I had also been taught that God could do anything that God wanted to, and that God had a plan, and I had been taught that um, God's will was um, very powerful, and so it was, it was quite confusing. And I know that it has been confusing for, for many people because the earliest scriptures that we have are Hindu scriptures that were dug up um, fairly recently in the 20th century, and they were 20,000 years old, and they were talking about this very problem. You know, why do the bad things happen, and what can we do to keep them from happening, and what relationship does the divine have with the bad things that are happening? And so if people have been wondering about it for 20,000 years, and I've been wondering about it for, you know, 45 years, I, I don't have an answer this morning. I'm sorry. But I'm going to go through um, some of the major different religions and tell you what they think. And so if you are a um, member of any of those religions, I apologize in advance because this is going to be painted with very broad strokes. So... Uh, in the Hindu faith, or um, there are many faiths within the Hindu faith, but the gist of it is that good and evil can both be part of the divine. That Shiva is the creator and the destroyer, and um, one must destroy in order for the, there to be room for creation, and both things are within God, which solves the problem um, because then you don't have that pesky God is love thing and you can believe that God is the creator and destroyer. And if you don't believe in God at all, there's no problem because it's just like, well, stuff happens. So I, was, I told you before, I think, about a, a workshop at General Assembly where lots of Unitarian Universalists get together and there were 200 ministers in this one room because the workshop was just for ministers and there were um, different tables representing different views of God. So there was a table for um, God created everything but is outside everything. Uh, God controls everything. God, uh, there's a lot God can't do. Um, there is no God. God is everything. And God is in everything. So um, about 190 of us were around the table for God is in everything. And the others were scattered around the room. There were four older, retired, white male ministers with white hair and blue eyes. I don't know why. And they uh, were at the There Is No God table. And then we were, um, we were asked at our tables to have a discussion about the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen and what is the relationship with the divine to the bad things? So at our God is in everything table, we're wrestling and we're saying, so is God in uh, the cancer cell, is God in the torturer, is God in the landslide, is God in all these terrible things as well as all the good things? I mean, because you, you know, if God is in everything, then God's in everything. And when on Facebook somebody goes, oh, I, I believe in God whenever I see a sunset and there are um, beautiful butterflies and, uh, and I, see, I hear a children 
I hear children laughing. And you just want to go, yeah, but what about when the butterflies die? And what about when the children, ah. But, you know, you have good internet manners, so you don't do that. You just go, oh, how nice. But so we were getting down to it, and we were having a great time. But we were not having as good a time as the guys over at the There Is No God table. They were just guffawing. We were not guffawing. We were wrestling. And when it came time to give our report, um, we, were, we gave our tortured report, you know. And then they got up, and they were like, well, you know, if there's no God, then there's no problem. So we talked about golf. But so, okay, so creation and destruction, uh, all in the same divinity, which is pretty realistic. The Buddhists say that evil is an illusion, that it's just an illusion, and that everything material is an illusion. And so you could, um, you can let go of your suffering, because there's going to be pain, you're going to have pain in your life, but the suffering comes from the story you tell yourself about the pain, how it shouldn't be happening, or why is it happening to you or that person you love. And um, if you just let go of your attachment to your eyesight, or your attachment to your health, or your attachment to the lives of your children, or your attachment to keeping your job or keeping your health, then if you lose those things, then you don't have as much pain because you weren't a attached to those things, although it's difficult not to be attached uh, to things and not to desire for you and your family and your loved ones to have healthy, long, purposeful lives. Um, But what they say in a very cheerful way, which I love, is, listen, you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know the story behind what happened. It just happened. And so if you can just enjoy your children, your eyesight, your health, while you have it today, um, if you can just enjoy those things that are working for you. Um, so your, your elbow hurts, uh, maybe your shoulder doesn't hurt, so let's focus on that. And, and it's just pain anyway, and it's a body. You know, it's a, a meat wagon is what they call it. So you're just driving it. Uh, for this life, and you'll drive a different one in the next life or something. We don't know. And um, set your mind free from the desire to keep it. One of the oldest books of the Hebrew scriptures, the oldest book, is Job, the book of Job, which is about this whole problem. So the story starts with this righteous man named Job. He's got land. He's got uh, stuff. He's got good relationships. He's got kids. Everything is going well, and then up in heaven, God and Satan are talking. So this is the oldest book. So God and Satan uh, talk together in this book. Satan, by the way, means the accuser, like the prosecuting attorney. That's that's who Satan is. And so if you've ever had, um, not to say anything bad about prosecuting attorneys, But that's what his name means, the accuser. And so in your mind, when you have court in your mind, um, using the Hebrew scriptures, then, uh, you know, you have an accuser and you have a defender and then you have the judge who's God. And I guess the defender is you. I don't know. 
So Satan says to God, actually God starts. God starts this. And he says, look at my servant Job. Look how righteous he is and how much he loves me. And Satan says, oh, yeah, of course he loves you. Everything's going great for him. I bet he wouldn't love you so much if things weren't going so well. And God goes, oh, he would too. And Satan says, want to try it out? Just give me permission to mess with him, and I'll mess him up. And we'll see then. And God says, go for it. So... Job's life turns upside down. He loses everything. His children all die. His health goes away. His house burns down. He is just uh, destitute and sick. And so in the next scene, he's sitting on a pile of ashes and trash, scratching his sores, and only the dogs are comforting him. So... um, His friends come to visit, and they comfort him like you've had friends do when something goes bad. All right, something goes badly for you, and your friends come to visit, and they say certain things, and almost everything that people say is covered here in this book. So the first friend comes and says, well, life's just like this. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward from a fire. And his other friend says, you know, Job, God is always just. That's the bottom line. So you must just deserve this somehow. Think back over the things you've done. Did you eat too much fat? Did you have the wrong friends? Perhaps you shouldn't have been walking in that neighborhood at that time of night. People always love to go to the middle when something bad happens because they want to believe it's not going to happen to them. So it's got to be, it's kind of God or whatever, and it's also kind of you. And even the New Age people go, oh, just look in Louise Hay. I'm sorry for those of you who love Louise Hay. But just look in Louise Hay. If you're holding a bad thought, you know, then, oh, uh, if you have arthritis, it means you're scared of moving forward. Yeah, so if you got more comfortable moving forward, perhaps your arthritis would clear up. Because, you know, it's really your fault. And they go, oh, no, this is not what it's about. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Well, it sure sounds like it. And then Job goes, what about my children? Oh, your children must have sinned against God. That's why they're dead. They sinned against God. And then Job He does not go to the middle. I love this about him, and I love this about this earliest of books. He says, I have done nothing wrong. And then he thinks better. You know, he goes, of course, no mortal is blameless before God, but, you know, I've done nothing wrong, and I want God to come down here and answer this. And I'm sure um, if this book were rewritten today, for example, that they'd have somebody in there going, oh, Job, life is a school, and you're just having a lesson. This is just a lesson to teach you and train you. Or somebody go, oh, your faith is being tested. Yeah, God is testing your faith. Wow, that's a cruel God. Wow, who would do that to their children? Um, Anyway, or uh, my favorite, 
you know, it's just a big tapestry. And uh, you're just looking at the tangled underside of the tapestry. And so if you could see with God's eyes, you would see the beautiful picture in the tapestry that God is weaving. Come on. My little test for explanations of why bad things happen is, can you say it in a camp for refugees in Sierra Leone to a little girl whose parents have been hacked to death by militants? Okay, if you can say to that little girl, well, see, there's this tapestry, and um, no, you couldn't. The best thing you could say to her is, honey, we don't know why it happened, and can we help you in some way? My other favorite thing about this book is that God does come down. God comes, which is great and very dignifying for Job. And God tells all the comforting friends that what they're saying is just garbage, that they're wrong. I love that. You know that really early, I think it was Annie Hall movie where um, Woody Allen and his girlfriend, they're in the line uh, for a movie, and some guy is kind of being a blowhard behind them and going, oh, well, the director obviously meant blah, 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 blah. And Woody Allen's getting madder and madder. He's like, that's not what the director meant. And then he reaches behind this billboard, and he goes, and here's the director right here. And the director says to the guy, no, you're wrong. You know, that's not what I was going for at all. It's so satisfying. And so in front of Job, God himself or herself or itself or themselves, God comes down and says, you guys are wrong. And then in answer to Job, which is not an answer, but it's a beautiful poem, God says, basically, I'm God and you're not. And it's lovely, and he says things like, who is the friend of the water-spurting whale? Who has bound up storehouses of snow in the sky? And, you know, it's meant to kind of make you get the big picture of things. And so there's no answer in the book of Job, except for... Really, um, God made a mistake in letting this happen. And so Carl Jung wrote a whole piece called God's Answer to Job. And he talks about the crucifixion of uh, Rabbi Jesus as God's answer to Job. He says, basically, I was wrong and I let a bunch of terrible things happen to you, so here, I'm going to come down here and let them do it to me, too. Um, Still not satisfying, but an interesting idea. So is God responsible for evil? Does God create evil? We were taught at Princeton Seminary, which is a Reformed theology um, place, that God is omnipotent, meaning he can do everything, and God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. And so when bad things happen, uh, God could prevent it, but God doesn't uh, because he wants us to have free will. And he wants natural law to be consistent. So, for example, when you have a, a plank of wood, it's going to be dense and it's going to be hard. And if you want to build a deck with it, that's good. 
But if you want to hit somebody over the head with it, it's not suddenly going to become soft and pliable. It's going to stay itself. And it's your free will plus natural law that makes the person suffer that you hit over the head with the plank of wood. See? And that, that physics just is always going to work. If you have a car that weighs what a car weighs and you hit an animal that weighs what it weighs, the animal is going to get squished because, and your car is going to get squished if the animal is like a muskox or a deer or moose, and it's just the physics of it. It's not evil. It's just physics. And free will. You were driving where you were driving, the way you were driving, and the animal was having its free will and running where it wanted to run and getting to where it wanted to go, and y'all just ran into each other in a pretty bad way. But my seminary training said, okay, but God uh, is in control. And so when you just barely miss somebody in your car, you can say, God really blessed me. And then you just kind of um, slide over that when you don't miss somebody, what, did God curse you now? Is that God? No, but God let that happen. Oh, really? God let that happen? Why that and not that? Either way, you end up pretty mad at God. <sighs> Unless you don't believe in God, and then you can talk about golf. Archibald McLeish wrote a play called J.B., which is the story of Job. And at the end, uh, Job's wife says the perfect thing. If God is God, he is not good. If God is good, he is not God. That sums it up. Apparently, according to the three religions of the book, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, there wouldn't be any evil if there hadn't been a Garden of Eden and if they hadn't eaten the apple and wanted consciousness or whatever. It just so doesn't make sense to me anymore. I used to try when I was a Presbyterian minister. I used to try for it to make sense, but I just have given up. I think it's a combination of natural law and free will that makes most bad stuff happen. People hurt each other. That's free will. Um, you have floods, you have earthquakes, that's natural disaster, that's natural law. People hit each other over the head with wood, it's a natural law. Um, and free will. Sometimes the developers will try to cut corners and they'll build in a floodplain. Or they'll build on the side of a mountain where the mud is not stable and all the houses will slide down. Or sometimes people deforest a whole area and then there are fires and floods and who knows what all. And that's just human greed and... Uh, mistake, free will, plus natural law. But what about real evil? I mean, what about people who are evil? Are there such? Well, opinions vary. The Unitarian Universalist party line comes from uh, the Romantic Era's philosophy that people are born a blank slate, and it's their nurture, uh, what happens to them that makes them into who they are, and if they have a good childhood full of healthy food and much love and good education, then they'll turn into good people. And if they don't have that stuff, they'll turn into bad people. And the Humanist Manifesto of 1933 and all its iterations since, that are that is an underpinning of Unitarian thought, um, that says that people behave um, better if they have 
good living conditions and good training, and that affects our tendency and our ability to choose good. And that's, that's true. But there are also people who grow up in terrible situations who turn into pretty good people, and there are people who grow up in pretty good situations who turn into pretty destructive people. And where's your explanation for that? And are there people that are just born bad? I know that almost every parent at some point during their children's uh, growing up <laughs> has the thought at least fleetingly cross their mind. But, um, you know... <laughs> My best friend is a vet, and she says, you know, we're mammals, and I know a lot of mammals. I see a lot of mammals, and some dogs, Meg, are just born bad. They're born bad. And I say to the people, she said it's very unusual, but I say to the people, this is just a bad dog. So I don't know if there are people who are just like, bad dogs, and they're just wired wrong or something, and they do destructive, terrible things. Again, I don't have the answer. The thing that makes the most sense to me is that it's all part of the same thing, that there's creation and then there's destruction in the divine, and that leggy plants have to be pulled up in order for other plants to grow, uh, trees have to die and fall over in order to provide habitat. I, I, I don't think they have to, but I think, you know, habitat happens when a tree falls over. I just think that um, I'm going to stick with the God is in everything position. I, I love the way Dylan Thomas put it, about the forces of nature being uh, for life and they also for death. He says, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower drives my green age. That blasts the roots of trees is my destruction. And I am dumb to tell the crooked rose. My youth is bent by that same wintry fever. So, you can make whatever storyline satisfies you, what I believe has no bearing on what you all have to believe. I think bad things happen, and I think the stories we tell ourselves about the bad things are very important. The ways we comfort one another are very important. And almost every way we comfort each other, if we're going to make a statement about an answer, we should start it by saying, I could be wrong, but... Or you should just say, I'm so sorry this has happened. I'm right here. Because when we're right here with each other, we witness each other's lives. And having a witness is a very powerful thing. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, and the fire of commitment, these we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. 
Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.